So uh, it's pronounced Siobhan. Siobhan. Why? Why? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the S and the I is a sh. Oh, yeah. And the B and the H is a v. Right. It's a Gaelic name. Okay, Irish it's Gaelic. Name. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But depending on people's vowels, it ends up becoming on or on. Siobhan, Siobhan. And Those sounded very similar to me. Oh, does it? So, okay, yeah, well, okay. there we go. Wait, wait, Sorry. no. So, so... Siobhan, Siobhan or Siobhan. See, it's just like a... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That did sound like you literally said the same thing to my, to my brain. Wait, sh- so sh- Siobhan? Siobhan. Versus... Siobhan. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Gaynor, and you're listening to Tone Control, Conversations with Video Game Developers. Uh, and today I'm talking to Siobhan Reddy from Media Molecule. Hello, Steve. <laughs> How's it going, Siobhan? I'm really good. Good. Very, very happy to be here. Oh, well, thank you for, for coming. Uh, about at least half of these tone control interviews are recorded in, like, Airbnbs that I'm staying in. So thank you for coming all the way to our Airbnb in Limehouse. My pleasure. <laughs> my absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm in the UK for the BAFTA Awards. Um, and, uh, yeah, taking the opportunity to, to sit down with you is, is really exciting yeah it's awesome when the BAFTAs happen because it brings loads of people to town and that's there's not really other events in London that do the same thing so, yeah yeah it's really cool. well and what EGX res is yes, right around exactly. the same time as yeah, well so. at the same time yeah. yeah yeah it's good 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 time of the year yeah well do you feel I feel like there's a pretty um, you know a uh, 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 vibrant um, development community in Britain oh, but yeah. do you still feel like there's also, like, a feeling of isolation, kind of, um, from the wider industry? I don't know. I mean, we're, we're based down in Guildford, and I've been based in Guildford for most of my time in the UK, so that's, like, 19 years in Guildford. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Guildford has a really, really vibrant industry. Like, you cannot, like, swing a cat, as they say, without right. hitting a game developer. Yeah. And that all sort of goes back to, like, Bullfrog and then um, Criterion and EA and sort of basically being like a bit of a hub. Right. So, yeah, certainly in Guildford do not feel like I feel very much a part of a, a wider industry. Right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's just, I guess, it's, you know, it's usually us going over to events in the US or right. primarily. So it's kind of nice when it's the other way around, when <laughs> yeah. it's people coming here because you can sort of show them do the same kind of hospitality we get from yeah. like our US buddies being sure. able to show them the town and the trees and the flowers and the bluebells <laughs> try and get people to go and walk with my dog usually what I'm doing yeah well, that's not a, that's not a hard sell take no. a nice walk yeah take a nice walk yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah uh Guilford is is yeah like you were saying it's kind of known for where Bullfrog yep. was um we're, so uh, just to introduce you with a little bit more detail at the at the start. So you're the studio director yep. at Media Molecule. That's me. Yeah. Were you a Lionhead person before that? No, I was a Criterion person. Okay. So I um, started at Criterion in um, uh, <clears throat> 1999, at the point where Criterion was just finishing on Trick Style and and sort of about to embark on the Burnout series. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've been in Guildford for all that time. And uh, my boyfriend, Barry, who I met then also, um, he was ex-Bullfrog. And my best friend, Lucy, who hired me into the industry, her 
was she was based down in Guildford and so very within a, probably a couple of months of being there I had met Alex and I'd met Mark and a whole bunch of the Linehead people because it was sort of that was every Friday night people would be going to the pub or you know right, so the community yeah. in Guildford was like very strong of just like meeting people so I was at Criterion and they were all at Linehead um, and um yeah, and we just became friends over the years. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I think before we got on mic, you were saying that you actually grew up in Australia. Though. I did. Yeah. So okay. So so tell me about so so you know uh, what what part of Australia did you grow up? Um, in? Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then well, let, so let's talk about that first, and then we'll okay. we'll talk about how you got here. Yep. Um. So yeah, what what was your what was your experience like growing up in in Sydney? Do you consider yourself an Australian? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Because you're saying that your your dad is Irish. My dad is Irish. Okay. Um, well, and actually, I was born in South Africa. Just to wow. Add a, All right. <laughs> just to add a whole new twist. Um, yeah, my dad is an, is Irish, and my mum is an Aussie, and okay. they met in South Africa, and then wow. we all moved back to Australia. One of my brothers, Ray, stayed in SA. Oh. Uh, he's old enough to do that. And um, do, do you remember South Africa? Were you old um, Yeah, sort of, yes. Like things like when I went back there for the first time after a, a long time, things like the smells, there was some, something that I kind of remembered. Oh, cool. Yeah, stuff like that where huh. it's obviously just deep in my brain. That, yeah. Um, and it was familiar colours and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then we moved to Australia and... Um, I that was basically yeah where all my formative years were. Okay. And um, uh, yeah. So right. yeah, I don't think you could ever. I don't think because nationality is a weird thing, and it's like yeah. you know I, I do. I feel like I am from lots of places, and they've all influenced me quite a lot. But if yeah, when asked what nationality I am, I always say Australian. <laughs> yeah. Were Were you uh, into games as a as a kid like? From from a young age when you were in Sydney. Um, yeah, I mean, we always had um, access to games, but I was a bit more into like dress up and <laughs> make believe and reading and theatre yeah. and singing and dancing and just being <laughs> like you know a little um, basically really into dress up, which hasn't really changed. Yeah. Um, but we played so... games. I played games with my brother and my little sister, um, and it it was the thing that we did together. So like that was. It was a part of my our like our growing up together. Yeah. But I wasn't like an ardent like um, it being the one thing that I really focused on. It yeah. was sort of one of I loved film and I loved music and over the sort of over my childhood I kind of just collected hobbies basically <laughs> as sort of time went on and um, yeah but uh, definitely sort of film and music were sort of my more yeah. thing that I was more passionately into in my yeah. teens. Well, and I think that I mean. It, at least to my mind, being really into dress up and creativity sounds uh, very relevant to what you do at Media Molecule. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, like that, that totally. is sort of the the thing I think that Media Molecule games are about. Yeah, well, I think it's like I've always liked playing creatively with people. Yeah. In whatever format we have, you know, got in front of us, and that's and and I really like getting into that play zone. I love like playing with little kids, like because it's just oh, yeah. I can get to that place really easily. It's just really fun. Yeah. 
And, they basically um, just live in that place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think then what I started to um, develop when I was a teenager was more my sort of production skills. So I made like a little fanzine of bands in Sydney. Oh, and cool. I really enjoyed doing that. What I particularly enjoyed doing was like sourcing articles from people or like oh, okay. interviewing the bands that I liked or you know, um, being able to show off my friend's artwork that I really liked. And huh. at one point that was, yeah, that was kind of my focus and I really, really enjoyed that. And then I started to move into making little short films and that sort of became the thing that I was like, oh, I'll channel all those interests into into that. And, um, and that's kind of what ended up leading weirdly to games because huh. in the room where we would do the editing, um, I went to a country school. It was really, really small. And so we had like two editing suites and um, two guys, Miles and Dragon, were my um, filmmaking buddies. Miles and Dragon? Miles and Dragon, yeah. Yeah, my high school film buddies. Was Dragon his given name? Yes. Wow. It's an amazing name, That's isn't awesome. it? It's a Serbian name. Oh, um, cool. And he, um, yeah, and we, whilst one of us, was, whilst we would be waiting for, to use a computer, we would just go on the internet. And it was kind of new and um, and that kind of led to me once I'd like worked super hard to get into film school and um, I when I sort of finally got accepted I I I don't know I had this moment of thinking oh I'm just too young I don't I've kind I don't have experience I don't yeah. have things to say I'd kind of said a lot of them in my coursework I don't yeah. know maybe I just got really scared who knows exactly sure. what happened but yeah. that was like a fork in the road and I started to work for a web design company that was basically doing trying to um <clears throat> do like interesting things like internet travel and beautiful oh, okay. websites for art galleries and three the sort of 360 sort of um views of um galleries and um Cool. And places, so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And this was sort of like early-ish web, it was like the mid to late nineties, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, new territory yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting to just kind of be a part of that. And, and so you were you were helping design those websites that were kind of <clears throat> trying to push boundaries. And... Um, not really. I okay. actually was the um, I started as the PA to the uh, creative director or the like managing director. Okay. And then that led me into um, being like the traffic manager. Huh. The traffic manager <laughs> is basically like a producer essentially, okay. where you're just managing all the things that are coming in and because it was a very busy firm and had lots of stuff going on and. Um, I wasn't a graphic designer. The quality there was like, you know, through the roof, super high. But mm -hmm. what I was learning, I guess, was just the machinations of an agency and how they worked and like all the different types of creative personalities that are in that type of environment. Right. So it was like programmers and artists and designers and business people and finance yeah. people. And yeah. Well, yeah. from when you were even talking about like working on your zines and stuff, it's I, I was thinking it was like oh it sounds like you're, you were just a born producer you were so. really about coordinating <clears throat> yeah. all these different people's work yeah. and, and bringing it into one place i'm the middle child <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah 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 you can't. <laughs> it's just destiny yeah you can't escape it <laughs> no so yeah so, um, so okay so you were you were basically like helping keep this 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 web design firm running effectively. Um, yeah, helping, that's helping probably like a little bit late. I was like very junior. Sure, you know, yeah. Like, um, what were you there for very long? Uh, I was there for probably nine months, ten oh, okay. months. 
And around that time was basically at that point and time in Oz, uh, it was very normal for people to do this kind of rite of passage to move to the UK. And my (laughs) housemate did and lots of people around me were. Well, it's it's true, right, that because of the, I don't know, the, the relationship between Australia and New Zealand and the UK that you can basically just like move here without a visa or anything you can just oh, no of... no you need a visa okay but i have an irish passport ah okay yeah there's i think maybe there is a new visa that allows more i don't really know anything about yeah, visas, yeah. but yeah you do you but, can't... but it's at least kind of i mean there's it's it's a little easier between kind of the uk and it's former colonies than some other yeah maybe, uh, maybe it is maybe. now but it hasn't know. traditionally been like oh really like certainly not in the same kind of free movement the beautiful free movement of the european union right which we love and celebrate yeah um it's not that it's a, there's no free movement between the uk okay. and australia and new zealand i got you um for working purposes but for holidays and stuff i think it's a, but yeah right I'm not a visa expert. yeah yeah so, but but you were you were working on web design and then yeah. you're like I'm just gonna do this move to the UK thing yeah that people do <laughs> yeah there's like a complicated backstory but um but essentially I ended up here and <laughs> well do you want to talk about the complicated <laughs> no, backstory really. no. <laughs> no okay um but basically I ended up here very I, and I kind of I think I was very young and I yeah. felt like the world was really small and I was a total romantic and I yeah. just thought you know, I can just do that and everything will work out. Yeah. And yeah, so I got here and... Um, was this was that the first time that you had even visited the UK when no, you moved I'd, here? Okay. No, I'd visited Ireland and the in London and Bath mm. with my dad and my little sister cool. when I was 16. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so to go see my dad's hometown oh, in okay. Ireland, which right. was really awesome. No, that's cool. Um, actually, one thing that I didn't mention, which is interesting, was... Um, my mum and dad had a shoe shop growing up. Mm. So one of the things that probably also formed, like really got my production skills honed or my people skills was that I, I worked for my dad from when I was like 12. Oh, wow. And like we would work at the shop with them and, you know, they were he was very much about like the experience that people have when they would enter and he oh, worked cool. really hard. It was a really cool shop, like in the area, was, we sort of lived in the bush suburbs and yeah, it sold Doc Martens and sort of skateboard shoes and band t-shirts <laughs> and stuff like that. Like it was a really cool little place yeah. and they put a lot of effort into the whole, you know, um, uh, how you make people feel and like yeah. what you, just making sure people had a nice experience when they went there. Yeah. And so I learned a lot from him to do with like how to, I, I don't know understand what a business is and yeah. what um and and that like people are very different like everyone is very different from everyone um yeah. when you meet people you have to be present with them and meet them yeah like yeah you, you can't just assume that every customer <laughs> is the same when they come in or yeah exactly yeah. you have to sort of talk to them and find out who they are and it was great like it was brilliant you just sit and chat to people for ages yeah. <laughs> it was awesome well it sounds like a it sounds like a cool shop too yeah because you know some great. people you know some people's parents might whatever job they have it's probably 
not quite as hip as selling like Doc Martens yeah. and, and like band t-shirts to like hipsters that are coming in. I know it's mad. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, it's quite it's kind of a mad thing, but yeah, it was cool. No, it sounds like a sounds like a kind of fun shop to grow up in yeah. as, a, as a tween and teen. Yeah, it was. It was. It was <laughs> Do you remember really... any like particular stories from when you were in the, the I shop? I mean, it would just the thing that I really liked about it was, um, you know, my friends would, I had a couple of friends who would end up taking jobs there. Um, Mum would give them work for like weekends and put um, on my good friends, Cara. And that was always just really fun or just, I don't know, it was just being a part of a, a business community was also interesting. So like knowing, you know, the florist that was across the way, yeah. who uh, Debbie, who just like taught me a lot about flowers. I have always been, in, I love flowers. And yeah. I like, I, um, um, uh, yeah, so that taught me a lot about that. And like, you know, so just see, and then there was like a lady who had a, um, a toy, like a doll's house. She made all these like dolls house wow. dolls, and so her she, business was selling yeah selling like the selling, dolls that like, went inside know, of doll houses and oh, wow. like little plates and, <laughs> and she made them herself she she made some of them yeah. she didn't make everything yeah, yeah, but yeah. she and she was really kind of aloof and just <laughs> a real character yeah. and really interesting and then there was like the people at the stationery shop yeah and they were quite like. <laughs> they, they were very serious about yeah, stationery. Kind of <laughs> so that, that was sort of it was kind of fun to be a part of that and be a young person just kind of well, and you know it meant I also worked with my brothers and sisters and that yeah. was kind of fun too to yeah. kind of get to just you know we loved it when our mum and dad would just like leave us in charge right. and then we'd <laughs> like just do our jobs but yeah. like <laughs> yeah yeah but but you but you you know you're young and probably felt like you had a certain level of like responsibility yeah. that's cool and yeah. they're like oh we trust you just to yeah. make sure the shop doesn't burn down yeah exactly. <laughs> so it was it was good it was good good teaching yeah I mean, there, there's a certain level of romanticism that i think i have in my head about like running a shop or a restaurant or a bar or something where there's it just seems feels like there's something that's very you know like tangible about it which mm-hmm. seems really cool like i'm sure that like any job where it has a lot of moving parts and everything that's a lot of responsibility and it's not fun a lot of times and everything but the flip side is you know like with what we do and with a lot mm-hmm. of jobs you know it's sort of like well you know i make something on my computer and then i put it on the internet and then mm-hmm. but then when you're running a shop and you're like oh we just got this new shipment of shoes in let's put them out on the shelves hey somebody came in and bought one yeah. or we're like hey i like it and they gave me some money for it and i was like yeah this little feeling of community of people that live in town stop in sometimes yeah. to see what's new it just seems really like cool in a way it's very direct it yeah it like. is and I think it's like it's a sort of ultimate curation in a way because yeah. you sort of get to curate and watch all the trends and little things like you know you'd have the mix of characters from like people coming in to get school shoes from for their kids to like punks who have come in to like get the really high boots right. to like you know someone who's just sort of interested in them because they're comfortable and they're yeah. hard wearing shoes and like that kind of constant flow of just humanity coming through yeah um, you know, my mum and dad are both real people people, so they, like, you know, would just get to know people and listen, yeah. and I think that really, if you, and they worked very hard, it was like, you know, taught me graft also, I think that's kind of one of the things that... Wait, what's that mean? Graft, like, hard work. Okay. You know, like... Um, we, we don't use the, that word graft. for that in the States. Graft, uh, graft in the States just means, like... Uh, 
like like uh, uh, like bribery. Like oh really? Yeah. Like, oh wow. Like okay. Graft is <laughs> when a politician is like taking money for. Oh, no like, way. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, they so didn't do this, that. No, I didn't, I didn't think so. <laughs> no. So in this in this case, graft means just like, Hard like getting work. your work done. Yeah, getting, getting your work done. Yeah, okay. and just you know knowing that like you may have like a thousand things to do to get to the end, but you yeah. just have to knuckle down and do them. There's yeah. no like shortcuts. You just have to do it. For sure. And that I think has been you know it was a really important you know particularly as a producer like you it, there is yeah. a lot of stuff you have to do and it can be very easy to just go oh, I can't be bothered yeah. but actually you have to do it because right. when you don't do it it always comes back to bite you like all the time well I think it can also be the flip side of that which is just like there's so much to do and I don't even know where to start or I yeah. don't know how any of it's going to get done yeah. you know and being able to say like I can put this in an order yeah we can just you can figure start out when to, up, yeah. what to do in what order and then you know we got to do it yeah, yeah. is is it, it's a learned skill yeah you know? it is seeing yeah. the shape of that is is can be hard yeah I think. yeah yeah for sure um well that's a i mean that's a really cool growing up experience yeah, it was. I'm, I'm surprised that there aren't more games about running a shop because it seems like it has like the clear kind of mechanical aspect of you can be like oh people want the like supply yeah. and demand kind of thing but also that kind of almost like Animal Crossing Harvest Moonish thing of like, oh, I'm friends with the the flower seller across yeah, the street and right. customers that come I guess in and all that kind the, of stuff. Um, the games like Game Dev Studio and yeah. you know, the those their mobile games. Barry plays them a lot. Well, like theme, like I loved Theme Hospital. Yeah. I would totally play Theme Shopping Center. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and like Roller Coaster totally Tycoon is yeah, kind of you know, yeah. But yeah, um, theme, yeah, theme like um, Main Street or High Street yeah, called here. That'd yeah. be really cool. Maybe we can solve the whole High Street Main Street problem at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Figure out what, how to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So, so yeah, you kind of so you, you brought that that sort of like formative experience yeah. of dealing with people and, and keeping something running. Yeah. And you had that kind of with you and then you made the jump to, to the UK. Yeah. And so you had left this this web yep, web design studio. Online. So what did you what did you think you were going to do when you came to the UK? I thought that maybe <laughs> I would um, pick up on either web or try and work in like a production a film production company or something oh, okay. here. And then a friend of mine suggested that I think about games because mm. he was very aware that like my interests kind of overlapped in these different ways of yeah. like theater and technology and storytelling and dress up and da da da. And I hadn't actually ever thought about it as an option. And um, so I just uh, got in touch with a recruiter and um, got, then had a couple of interviews um, and that was, where I got my first job um, at Perfect Entertainment okay. in London. And I was hired by uh, my now like best friend for life, Lucy. And mm. she um, was a producer and she hired me as her assistant producer or a production assistant. I can't quite remember exactly which okay. it was, but basically like the bottom of the, the, the pile. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do all the other stuff nobody yeah. else has yeah. time to do. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I, um, yeah, I just knew nothing about the whole process. Yeah. So I was kind of amazed by the, um, just like walking around the studio, I just loved the, immediately fell in love with like the people, you know, yeah. like the 
the fact that like you go into like the an- I'd go into the animation room and you know all these like cool animators right do, like um, well what kind of studio was perfect what, what were they making they were making a Discworld Noir at the time oh um, wow yeah. okay that's because that's a that's a sort of like cult classic yeah. game for yeah. sure a lot of people I think. Uh, have a special place in their hearts yeah. for, for the Discord. It was games. very cool, yeah. and it's really beautiful. So, and it's yeah. kind of all that gorgeous illustration. So, going into like that area and seeing, meeting people, and um, and then you know, um, going to the programming room and that having a, a bit of a different vibe. It was like in a big old house. Oh, oh a, cool! It was like a building, but it sort of felt a bit housey. Yeah. Um, well, that's a great feel for somewhere that you go every day. To, yeah. Yeah. And then you know going downstairs into like the audio area it was just I was just like oh this is amazing like there's all these cool people and everyone's got their thing and you know I felt very excited about the idea of like having a job where I would be helping to bring that together yeah um but I didn't stay there very long um I was there from like um probably about six months it was uh, sort of going through sort of quite a few financial issues and I was very also very young and it was like my I, first yeah I was gonna say it sounds like you you didn't go to college no yeah and so you must have I was thinking you must have started been in this job like very young yeah it sounds like you you probably started yeah no I was the... 18 yeah yeah wow so yeah. that's a yeah that's a yeah. that's a big jump straight yeah. in yeah yeah exactly it's particularly being young from somewhere else and actually, even though at the time I would have thought I was very, you know, worldly wise, yeah. I really wasn't. Right. <laughs> I, was super I think it's pretty hard to young, be that worldly at that, at well, that exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. But you just, I don't know. I just, anyway, who knows? Yeah. But, um, um, but then eventually um, I left there and I went, that's when I was interviewing and I got a, a that's when I moved down to Guildford to work at Criterion. Okay. So that was in 99 and um, so kind of, so perfect. I was there for probably, I think it must've been about nine months and then. Were, were I, you there when they shipped Discworld North? Yeah. Cool. What was, yeah. what was your experience like on that game? I mean, it sounds like you were, you were just kind of getting your feet wet at that yeah, point. Yeah. What do I you was, remember about it? I was actually there right at the end. So they had pretty much made it and it was, um, I was working as the Lucy's assistant and I was kind of, she was focusing on localization and, um, and actually also, also managing the relationship with the writer and with the voice cast and, or, um, and, you know, she was doing a lot of production of, um, so I, at that time I was, because I was so new to it and I knew absolutely nothing about the process. I was just really learning. Yeah. And so I was doing like the note taking and like <laughs> sending the minutes and that kind of yeah, stuff. So yeah. just kind of like learning and learning and learning. And when I got to Criterion, that was, um, I was hired there by Fiona and Fiona Sperry, and they mm. were just finishing up on Trick Style, so it was another, like, arriving just at the end. Yeah. And, but at that time, I could take on, like, some of the localization. And, like, localization is very, it's a really under, it's an under-represented, undersold yeah. uh, part of the process. But, like, as a producer, it's brilliant because you get to see the whole game. Mm. And you get to understand yeah. it, and like language gives you so many clues into a lot of aspects of the of games and how you communicate. Like um, I don't know, even just how you communicate game rules or how you communicate mechanics or how you communicate the feeling you want to give people. Yeah, it's all in the often very the language is really really important. Right. So I felt like 
it's a bit like coming through QA, like yeah. sort of learning through localization. You sort of get this very holistic view. Yeah. and Because um, in both cases, you really kind of have to touch every mm -hmm. or, you know, so many parts of the, the game. Yeah. You know, because the localization is just going to be strong all throughout the entire experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's, it that's is. cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, you could have, like, come up as even maybe a slightly more, you know, specialized PA or, or, mm -hmm. or assistant producer. So, you know, you could be, like, an animation producer. Yes. And then you would just know about the animation stuff. But a, a low producer, yeah. you know, it's sort of, like, all, every, everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because um, I also, my, my first year and a half in the industry was in QA, and I was actually... My first six months was in CERT QA at Sony oh, in yeah, that's America. So good to learn. It, it was. So, I it's mean, like the... for the first six months, they're just like, "Here's a game. Just like familiarize yourself with it really deeply yeah. for like two weeks. Here's another one. Here's another game you never would have played, but you have to like understand it and write bugs on it. And just that crash course was. It was really cool. Yeah. But also understanding what finish looks like. Right. Is really, I think, um, hard if you don't know. Yeah. But like being in cert, I think would just be particularly because like they're the people that just give you that rubber stamp. So like if you fail, then it's having to resub and all of that is such a pain. That, well, especially um, back when you were starting, it, it wasn't just like oh hit upload again. Oh no, it was exactly. Like, time to get another disc pressed. I know. Like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was really that's a really it's really interesting because it's that same kind of understanding that what it looks like at the end. I think is a really good way to begin. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, because it's so hard to if you're if you're new and you're looking at a game that's only twenty five percent finished. Like, how can you have the tools to picture mm, what that's going to look totally. like? Yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then we had. Um, I think what happened then was we started on Airblade, and that was like mm. a sort of carry on from Trickstyle. Trickstyle was like a hover. There's a lot of hoverboarding going on it. <laughs> <laughs> A criterion. I'm not really sure. I don't actually know where that came from, because it. But it Trickstar was the first one, and then Airblade was the second. Was hoverboarding again? It's because snowboarding is an extreme sport. So what's more extreme? I know. It's, <laughs> snowboarding is taking to the future. It's so weird. But anyway, um, I uh, feel like there was a lot of there was like a little like future sports revival at the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Because there was like. There's that David Jaffe game where it was like robotic racing people like transformed into oh. vehicles. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I feel like there there was a little bit. There was a bit, bit of going. It was going yeah. on. Everyone yeah. was like, "It's 2000." Exactly. <laughs> it's the turn of the millennium. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, But that was a really. I think of that project as basically my college. Like yeah. I learned. Yeah how to make a game on that project. That was the first project that you were really there from the beginning. From the beginning through, through, the through to the end. Yeah. And I felt very much a part of it. I felt I learned um Fiona who was who was my boss and mentor, she was just a really, really fantastic teacher. And I felt like it started off with me really knowing very little, but by the end I really had more of a grasp on what a like how to produce a team and how to what like my own sort of take on that. Yeah. was um there's a really funny making of on the internet on youtube i was looking at the other day and i'm just like obsessed with groups you're like divide people into groups is basically my production <laughs> 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 like advice it's like okay that's probably true easier yeah, to I mean, deal with five people than like 50 people it's true, all at yeah. once <laughs> cross-pollinated groups yeah, yeah. 
Um, Wait, so, so there's a making of from the yeah. making of, of, did you say Airblade? Airblade, yeah. Such a cool, I such know. a cool Airblade. 2000s name just from the start. I know. But, okay, so, I mean, that must be a trip for you to look back at now. Yeah. Just because, I mean, at this point it was like 18 yeah. years ago, so, like, even just the time difference I know, must be I know, I look at it and I'm like, I'm such a baby. <laughs> um, no, it's cool because actually, interestingly in it as well, it's, it's sort of seeing... Uh, people in that that I still know. Yeah. Um, people. So one of the the presenter Emily. Um, she. I didn't know her then, but she's one of my best friends now. Oh, and cool. we didn't become friends after that. Um, that uh, making of, but we became friends when she came to work at Criterion. Okay. But she's one of my best friends. So I look at it and I'm like, this is really. You know, we're both. You know, 17, 18 years ago, and we're. And it's kind of nice to kind of just have that in our. I don't know, like in our um, history, our yeah. archive of like, remember that time? We right, <laughs> for sure. That's really, yeah, so that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the first time I think I was learning that, like, because I mean, you would have had in your career that time where you said, I don't know, where it went from maybe people being like, you have everyone divided into like programmers, animators, artists, to it being more cross-pollinated. Is that something that you've kind of noticed more? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. And you felt like on, on Airblade you had more of that yeah. that feeling of there being less of a division between yeah. departments. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that, that can lead to great things, you know, people not just being in their own silos. But yeah. It's kind of like you were saying with, like, your experience with localization. Like, the more people know about the rest of the game, yeah. the more that can inform their work. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah, yeah. it's like, I think I've always thought about um games teams and this is what i have you you ever walked through like a dance studio i haven't so like it's super cool um because and like i've only done this like two or three times because i'm not a dancer but um but like i went to this studio in london called pineapple studios and you like start on like one floor and i was where i was going was somewhere far away and like every room you walk past, there's like different music going on, different dance styles. So one might be like they're doing the tango, the next might be doing the, some R&B, the next one might be doing they're doing like rock and roll or something. Yeah. And you just kind of get this idea of like um, the flavor, just this sort of interesting flavors as you wander around. And that's what I've always loved about walking around a game studio is you kind of get that feeling of like different um, vibes emanating from like the different areas yeah. within the studio of like right. the, the people and the um and I've kind of always really liked that feeling of how like there's just this sort of chaotic energy in yeah. the air and it's sort of all yeah I really like that <laughs> yeah and it reminds me occasionally of this dance studio metaphor uh, um because it's like we we of we even though it's work it is a bit like where I think of it a bit like we're a band. Yeah. We're a very big band. Right. But you're we're a band, and that means that we've sort of all t- chosen. Uh, we all have come together about something that we have in common creatively, and that's what make that's what brings us together and keeps us together. And yeah. when people don't fit into the studio, it's never because they're not bad. They're bad. It's often because they're just not. They're like into. I don't know, they're like a death metal drummer and right now we need a jazz drummer or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, like, sure. it's all yeah, to do yeah. with like that choosing, having a create, having a take and sort of wanting to make that thing together. And that's yeah. kind of, I guess, like the bedrock of my feeling of like how you form teams is sort of feeling like, can we get into that jam together? Because right. we're sort of creatively going in a 
similar crossover direction. Yeah, yeah, and you know, maybe <clears throat> I mean, obviously, everyone's contributing their own thing. Yeah, but feeling like we're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you and you felt that you felt that way during that project? You kind of had that <clears throat> that feeling of like, oh, everybody is doing all this weird different stuff but it's like pointing this yeah way. <clears throat> and i think particularly then on burnout three so we had a after after airblade we um what do we do then we stopped we well we moved on to making a um uh ea were looking at bringing back uh, the game skate or die because okay. this is at the point where like tony hawks was massive and right. you know they were like obviously you've been hoverboarding you can move to skateboard. yeah and we came up with like this really cool pitch and I think our vertical slice was really awesome and there was lots lots and lots of great stuff in yeah. there. Um, we eventually canned it because it was, Tony Hawk's was just so big, it was kind of hard to like penetrate that yeah. without doing something quite radical and, and um, yeah, the, the sort of... Um, the I mean I still believe if we'd made that vertical slice I think that was something that was really special but yeah. we sort of it, it, that didn't that didn't proceed we ended up canning it yeah and then well, can you talk about what was what was exciting about it to you uh I think it was the so the character could get off the board okay so that was a big yeah, that was like right. a big thing you know, could <laughs> climb up like you know climb up buildings and just like wander around and it was just um it looked really cool it was um uh it just i think it had more i felt it had more character so rather than being about star skateboarders it was more about just these people who skateboarded yeah and the town that they were in and so it was a little less it was a bit more i don't know kind of had a bit more of a vibe that i liked it felt about that world and um, well, I remember the, I mean, the original Skate or Die, I feel like they, you know, that game brought across a real, like, 80s skate shop vibe. Yeah, it had, like, such a cool logo, and yeah. it just felt, like, yeah. edgy in a yeah, way exactly. that was authentic at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, bringing that back, I think, could, could have yeah. been a, a really cool moment within that. It feels like it would also maybe speak a little, like, I imagine you guys are probably looking at, like, Jet Set Radio how yes, it kind oh of had gosh. like street style yeah, yeah, and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So that was that was a really that was kind of an interesting experience in terms of like killing your darlings of that not everything can work out. Sure. And it was really sad and it was quite stressful because we'd sort of had to try out a couple of different ideas because and like who knows really what the major reasons were, but it's, but it's it was. We ended up um, deciding to can it and to walk away from it, which was a huge decision for Criterion to make because it could have been a really big problem for the relationship. And so, like, I always felt that it was very admirable of Alex and Fiona to make that call because it, we 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 sort of needed to do it. Yeah. Um, and that. But the thing that happened that was excellent after that, because meanwhile, Burnout One and Two had been happening yeah um so but, those are happening at the studio but they you weren't the working studio. on them yeah, yourself working okay. on them and but the canning of uh skate or die basically brought us all together on burnout three okay and so that sort of feeling of us all going in the same direction really came at that point because we sort of gone from being the two teams to one team and this one project which was signed with ea was was needing to was basically needed to work yeah. Like, you know, we really, we'd, you know, been through this experience. We needed this project to be a success. Yeah. 
And um, so everyone really did come together and we had some like really interesting experiences working with EA in terms of their effects people. They brought on a whole bunch of people from film at that time. Mm. And because they were doing, I don't know if you remember, like I've ever played like the Need for Speed um, racing I mean, games. Some of them, them but I, I actually, I honestly, I played more Burnout than, yes. than Need for Speed. So. <laughs> good. That's good. That's good to hear. Well, well, well said. Uh, but we... Um, I mean, Burnout 3, like not to jump ahead too far, but Burnout 3 was like a, a real, I feel like, breakout for for you guys oh, um, yeah. and I, I just I remember reading about it and finding out about it yeah when it came out and it it really the reaction was I think emphasized the kind of like you know arcadey satisfying uh kind of like car combat feel mm-hmm. of it uh, yeah. that was really unique and I've never been like a Gran Turismo guy or anything mm-hmm. like I just like racing racing guy but something that's like much more immediate and and sort of has that that feel of collisions and excitement and just sort of you know uh that that different approach to it was really appealing to to me as i guess just sort of like uh a a general gamer that's sort of like into stuff that's supposed to be interesting and unique and good but was never into like the genre for the genre's Mm -hmm. sake it felt like it crossed over in in that way i think that's it was um because it was really it was really fun yeah. Like it's a really fun game, yeah. and I think it just uh, we play tested it lots with our, our family and friends, and we really wanted to create something that was uh, was fun and yeah. it had that arcade feeling and like one well, that like anybody could pick up exactly and, and play exactly right? without having to play, tune was like the, the suspension of, on your yeah, <laughs> on exactly. your whatever yeah yeah so that was brilliant because it was sort of like I remember the project kind of having this moment where it was like we're progressing and it was looking beautiful but um it wasn't quite there and we met up with these guys Glenn Entis and um Habib Zagabor hmm. and they uh were you know um really sort of very experienced film effects people mm-hmm. and they were the people that basically were just like you need to just amp up all these effects to like a bajillion yeah. you know like and taught little things to do with like you know how to achieve a sense of speed and how yeah. to like what to take from looking at like hollywood um excuse me driving movie driving movies and yeah um and they were they were just really and you know like things like the sparks and i think we'd there'd right. been a point where i'd love to see the before and after i mean you can kind of see it in burnout 2 to burnout 3 but a lot of that side came from them just going like just like really celebrate it really go for it and really just like don't assume the audience gets it just like go wild yeah go wild (laughs) and we did and i remember it being like this thing because it was it was a serious meeting of like it's not quite there yet and then we did all this stuff and everyone was like wow this is awesome like it really is starting to get that feeling of um of just being not not serious, but really sort of fun and playful and over the top. Yeah, and I think that kind of helps with the whole feeling of just like the arcadiness of it. So. Yeah. Well, and you get like the in that game there was the crazy like crash the time crash mode, yeah. thing. Well, oh, there was no, crash mode, um, but also there was like where you could go into like yes. super slow mo. Yeah, yeah. Right, the, and um, so I feel like that was you know it was a little bit like post matrix bullet timey kind yeah. of thing, but in that. In, I mean, for the same reasons that it was effective in that movie, it was like, 
you guys had all of these, yes, spark effects yeah. and all these and particles and stuff, like, and you could just, like, see like, them yeah, just kind of, like... Yeah, be like, oh, let me edge away. Yeah, um, so, yeah, just, like... And I remember the just the sound design mm-hmm. and how much when you went into the, the slow-mo that it was, like, you were in this weird other world, and then you went back into speed. Like, it was... It was it, like you're saying, it was the the presentation and just like leaning into the feel of all that stuff yes. that really came across. Yeah, it it was it was really for that was a for Criterion that was a really 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 brilliant moment and a, and it was the the um that was the moment that the studio that was the most successful thing and at that point I think because the thing about Criterion as well at that stage was that Criterion also had Rentaware which was a middleware. Mm-hmm. Um, Did they and, make Rentaware? Yes. Oh, because so Rentaware is yeah, it's used in a lot of games, right? Uh, well, not any, not anymore. Okay. But uh, back in the PlayStation Two days, it was a really important um, middleware. Right. Yeah. And a bit like Unity is now, mm-hmm. Rentaware was kind of that for that time. So yeah. it was a really amazing um, like uh, engine for people. Um, and but so the games division of Criterion had been set up to show off. Renderware essentially, okay. and I think Burnout was the time where it became a game studio in its own right, really. Of I like instead you. of it being things that just show off the tool, it was there was you know, and Alex and Fiona had sort of set that goal of let's make a let's like you know become known as Criterion Games rather yeah. than Criterion Software or da da da. Yeah. Huh. And um, yeah, so that was a really that was a really 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 good experience. That's cool. I mean, that, that must have been pretty. Um... I don't know, having that, having kind of a, a, a clear mission statement like that must mm-hmm. have been really satisfying to sort of be like, we want this to be the game that makes people recognize us for the games and then yeah. to be able to really kind of focus yeah. towards that. Absolutely. And also being able to make a profit, to be able to sell like a million units was right. our, was a sort of thing that we were aiming towards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was also very, because it's like, I think what I learned with Burnout is it's almost... Because it's the arcade approach, it's like it's like a pop song in a way. It's like a perfect track. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it's joyful and you know, it, 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 there in the moment. And um, I really learned sort of that what a um, what a great project looks like, and but also the effort that it takes to get there, and the fact that you kind of have to look at it with fresh eyes. You have to bring fresh eyes in. You right. have to like. And not be take it personally when people are giving you advice. And yeah, I think that like yeah. the advice that we'd got from Glenn and Habib and uh, was just was really really important. And I think that you know, and obviously we sort of probably had to do it. But it's like at the same time, <laughs> it taught everybody that you know that there was stuff, there was a lot to learn, and that in doing that, it really brought so many people on board. It was mm. like a very kind of interesting lesson to be a part of. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's something that, it, especially when you're first encountering it, can be really hard to. I mean, I remember the, the first time that I was exposed to just like, just you know, people that they that they hired for forty bucks to to do a playtest was when I was working on the main game of Bioshock Two, mm-hmm. and it was I remember it just being like like scary <laughs> to, to want because there's just somebody that you you know just some some guy yeah. that's like playing through part of the game you worked on and just like even watching is just, just like, like oh, oh i no, can't i can't no and yeah. but then you know you force yourself to do it and then you talk to them after they after they've played it and you ask them what they thought about it and like 
you either see stuff or you're like, oh, see, they, they totally got it. Like, it works yeah. the way it is, or this stuff we thought was working, but none of them knew what we were trying to do there, so how are we going to get that across? And, you know, I really don't think, in a lot of cases, you can tell if the stuff that's working is actually working or if the stuff that's not working isn't without without you what either experts yeah. like yeah. like the the effects guys or yeah. just people you bring in off the street who totally. have no context yeah. absolutely like the pick up and play we very much focused on people's families and friends coming in yeah and that was like with a game like burnout they needed they needed to be able to pick it up and not have to learn anything that yeah. was like that's like when you go to an arcade you pick it up and you crack on yeah um but that was yeah that was a um i think in terms of just like the going through the different game modes and learning what captivated people and what like that whole sort of risk reward mechanism that was right. kind of that um aftertouch that was what that was okay. called okay. the uh i've been trying to like remember yeah 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 <laughs> uh but uh you know that sort of you know really trying to really wanting people when they picked it up and played it to get into that zone and to really you know be wanting to go super fast and and when they did it, it was kind of fine, and they'd have this this uh, um, you know amazingly beautiful crash. Yeah. Um, that was just it was a really interesting to also sort of be see that design evolve and see how effective it was, and how people really just got so much joy out of the you know the, the combination of the beauty of the tracks the tracks were gorgeous and I think that's sort of always been one of the things that's interesting about driving games is they're always set in these beautiful places right. so like you're, just, you're going past them at 200 going, miles an hour are, I know but the artists have put in like painstaking effort to just make sure that it's just it is like driving on a beautiful road in yeah. the world and that there's real pleasure in that well, especially in a game like like Burnout 3, you never know when someone's going to go into super slow-mo right next yeah. to yeah, <laughs> that like, one oh. part of the track. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a, that was sort of a... Um... And then we moved on to Burnout 4. And to be honest, like that was probably... That was a really tough project. Really? Uh, yeah. It Yes, it was. Like, yeah, yeah. it was... We also were working very, very, very hard, very, very long hours, Um all throughout this time so it was like old school in terms of expectation of hours and weekends and all that kind of right. stuff that's luckily not accepted anymore but that was a so it was in some a, places yeah well it shouldn't be um yeah. but it was um it, it was it, very it was there's a lot more of an expectation that's not the default oh, totally <laughs> yeah. like when i think of my 20s i just was at work yeah like all the time yeah and um well it's one of those things where i feel like it's 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 become it it seems intuitive that that doesn't actually result in more productivity you know yeah but it was it was clearly just the expectation that that was how you had to do it yeah, for do a it. long time yeah and depending on where you are in some projects now i'm sure still like hey yeah. you can't go home it's not done yet you know yeah yeah well burnout 4 also is a time when it, we'd been bought by ea and ea didn't enforce any of this so it's not not blaming them it was yeah. um I think, you know, up until then, there'd been this sort of build-up of, like, trying to reach success and getting to the point where it was like, burnout was this success. And so burnout revenge, burnout revenge, like, it's even, if you look at, if I look at it now, I'm like, wow, that project's 
like it's moody yeah and it reflects the mood it reflects the it reflects kind of where where the studio is at a bit and why do you think that was was it because you had to just like follow on right after burnout three it was just like it was released the following year yeah like a year i was looking when i was writing down my dates to remember all these things i was like oh my god like that was one year later yeah and it had to be a reinvention to a certain degree but like it just meant the team just went from one to another. And I think things like the fear of the success, the various different personalities just basically meant that it became a really tough environment. Yeah. And the expectation to be there was still there. And it meant that that was sort of crippling people a little bit. And everyone obviously really cared about the studio and they cared about the game and they cared about the cared about it but it was um yeah very sort of tough project I was really pleased when it finished mm-hmm. um and that was at the point where I was done I was sort of that was, I was like I've done this I really really enjoyed my time I've learned so much made friends for life it's time to to do something different and do something a little bit more creative and um and creative meaning I didn't actually even drive a car at this point so, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I wanted was just to do something that was a bit more within my interests sure. and um uh so what, i was thinking what, yeah. what did your role sorry so what, what did your roles end up being on burnout three and four were you more of a senior producer yes at that i was point? yeah okay. yeah so on burnout three uh so fiona was um the ep hmm. and then i was like looking after oh, there's another producer rupert and between the two of us we produced the team okay um and on Burnout 4, it was similar, yeah. uh, but there was Fiona was, it was sort of more, um, there was a couple of new other people. So Fiona was still involved, but not as much. And so it was myself and um, a couple of the other, produ- a couple of other producers. Yeah. That seems like a fairly big jump from like Airblade to Burnout 3 as far yeah. as what your responsibilities were. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was. It was um and I think that that was like when I think of it, uh, Burnout, I would have been Burnout Revenge 2005 20, 24 to 26. Okay. So yeah. like yeah, kind of when I think of that I'm like, "Oh my god." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that, like, that, that seems was... like a lot a lot to to you know, yeah. be responsible for or a lot of people to be you know, to be looking to you for what they need to be doing when you're, yeah, on Burnout 3 when you must have yeah. been like 20, 23 years. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. and I, I think that was basically what I learned was, um, you know, I definitely didn't do everything right. And I definitely, like, did enabled things, some things that um, I regret. And I mm. definitely learned a lot about the importance of production being the representative of the team yeah. and very much like, being the guardian of the culture and being um just you know having the strength to be able to make sure that like things don't go awry yeah and i think that was i learned a lot at criterion and a lot of the stuff that i learned was was like it it was very was you know just I, i guess like just helped me going into media molecule of wanting knowing which things i wanted to bring with me and knowing which ones i wanted to leave behind yeah and yeah. sort of did yeah, you yeah. feel like you were very much kind of like uh were you, were you dealing a lot with the with the publisher and then with the team or were you mostly internal because i could feel like if you're a producer that is kind of having to do a lot of 
talking up to the publisher and then back yeah. you know, internally to the team that that could be challenging. Yeah, I was doing, um, yeah, bits, so definitely on Burnout 3, a bit more of that because, and, and, uh, because it was, um, uh, we were still being published by AA. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a new, that was a very new relationship also. So I was de- like, I was obviously dealing with like the people at my sort of level and Fiona was sort of managing the relationship as a whole. And then on Burnout Revenge, we were um, owned by EA. So things like right. there was a very different, they had a very clear reporting structure and like how you had to submit reports and da, da, da. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that whole thing of like learning the importance of like the publisher transparent, like what level of transparency to be yeah. is sort of an important lesson for a producer also, which right. I sort of feel you have to be tra- just really transparent. Because there's no no one ever likes a surprise. Yeah. So it's sort of better to be, you know, always honest and finding being able to speak directly to the people who are trying to help you. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately, if they don't want to help you, then you sort of need to know that too. Like, but if you're all living in a world of not being honest, then you don't actually really know where anything stands. Right. So. Um, did you find Did you find challenges with that? I know that like. So I worked for you know big publisher. I worked for 2K when I was working on the the Bioshock series, and it felt like there were times where you know I felt sympathetic to the publishers who had to kind of be like they could only say so much to the team mm-hmm. because the publisher only has you know it's sort yeah. of like having to be like like I I would imagine in that position if you spent enough of that time that there could be those moments where you're like I wish that I could be more transparent yes or you know yes yeah. I mean um sort of motto at that stage and sort of still for production is like to shelter and protect yeah and so like you know I very much feel that our job so we have to be transparent to the to you know uh, honest with the with our publishers and you know I have the same relationship within the people I work with in PlayStation and Sony yeah um, but then with the team, it it does depend on what's important for people to know. Like sometimes it's not important for everyone to know people are worried about this one particular thing that people are already working on and we already have a milestone about, and, yeah. you know, because it's, I think it's important for people to be able to just maintain their flow. So obviously if there's something that's important, people should know. But if there's not, part of our job is to carry that and to be like, right, okay, how do we either... Um, integrate that feedback in, like, into our own process such that it doesn't come as a shock or worry people because people get really worried and particularly in those early days at, um, at like studio, studios shutting down was very very normal I mean it's still the same now like studios shut down but it was yeah. like you everyone was still very this industry wasn't totally stable and yeah. I feel like, you know, 2005 to 2010, there was a lot of shutting down of studios that were in that sort of size scale range that Criterion was in. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's, you don't want people to panic. Yeah. So it's sort of always finding the right balance of making sure that, you know, everyone just needs the phone to be off the hook and the door to be shut and everyone just being able to focus that you make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. So... So you, you took that experience from working at Criterion. Was that when you... Did you go from there to Media Molecule? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we... Were, were you there very early at the beginning yeah. of that studio? Yeah. It seems It seems like it. Um, was the studio just 
Was it was it even formed yet by no, the time you started talking to the, those folks? No, it was just it was a, it was forming at that stage. But it cool. was um, we so I'd known Mark and Alex and Kareem um, from just they were our friends. Um, and I, I, I actually I was sort of thinking of leaving the industry and trying out like mm. theater. Like I really liked the theater, so I yeah. was like maybe I try this theater thing. Yeah. Um, and. I was talking to um, Mark and Kareem at, no, Mark and Alex at my house. I was like, we had a Christmas party or something. Mm. And I was saying to them, like, you know, I'm done now. I sort of feel like I've, it's now time for me to do something new. I've been at Criterion seven years. It's time to do, da, da, da. and they started to talk to me about the, what they were setting up. And I then went to Australia for Christmas and they emailed me, like, come and join. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Very fine. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, and did did you know them? Did they work at Criterion? No, they were Lionhead. Lionhead, right? Yeah, okay. they were Lionhead. Okay. So they were at that point kind of like industry friends, but you yeah. hadn't worked with them before. I hadn't worked okay. with them. Just like hung out with them. Yeah. Like gone to festivals with them, but like. What was their What was their pitch to you? Like, how did they describe what they wanted to do with the studio and why you should join? Um. I mean, they were telling me, they showed me the, um, because the way that that had all started was Pete Hawley, who now runs Telltale, at Mm. that stage was at Sony, and he had previously been at Lionhead. Okay. And then went to Criterion. It was very, lots of moving around. Yeah. In, like, our world, our circles were sort of all in our, in our sort of same kind of places. But, um... He had been there, and on his last day at Sony, he just made sure that he'd heard, I think, via Alex, that they were interested in doing something, and he made sure that Alex got him and Mark got a meeting with uh, um, Phil Harrison. Okay. And at that point, what they were sort of pitching was like a music jamming kind of game, very mm. much about like jamming, huh. like creative jamming. And yeah. um, Dave, one of our technical directors, had made this. Um, little prototype called Yellowhead, which was like a physics, sort of the 2D physics platformer, mm. very tactile, basically like what Sackboy became. Sure. Um, okay. And so he had that. And they kind of just had a bunch of things. And Phil at that point was basically said, well, let's start a, let's give, you know, give you some money to put a green light together. Yeah. And um, Chris Lee, who was another member of that, he would work with me at Criterion. So he was like, well, what, you know, we should bring in a producer. And, um, yeah, so the pitch, they showed me the pitch. And I think because I was such a fan of their work and they've seen lots of their stuff over the years, and Mark had been making Ragdoll Kung Fu and I'd seen all of that and been, you know, he'd updated us all the way throughout yeah. it. That I just was like, this is like such a no-brainer that yeah. like some of the most creative pe- friends that I have yeah. they are really accomplished and they wanted to ship. Like, they were really in that mode of like they've not shipped something for a while so they're like we want to ship a thing and i yeah. was like i can ship a thing <laughs> i know how to ship that's, so let's let's awesome, combine yeah. our forces together yeah ragdoll kung fu was memorable because it was like the first non-valve game that was on steam yeah, that's right they yeah. were like let's try let's try putting somebody else's game on steam and i know that when i was you know when 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 Ragdoll Kung Fu came out, I downloaded it on Steam because awesome. it was the thing that, that wasn't <laughs> Half Life or you know Counter Strike. You're like these little puppets. Yeah, and, and I and I was you know I was I had been a, a big fan of Bullfrog since Syndicate and Dungeon mm-hmm. Keeper and you know Lionhead. I I played um, 
a ton of black and white and and so you know i think i was like oh these are lionhead bullfrog guys this seems like a weird game um and yeah it totally makes sense how that kind of speaks forward to what little big planet was with all of the Absolutely. you know wacky physics movement of the character and all that stuff. yeah totally yeah. Yeah, it's kind of mad when you put them all when you put them all together, like the jamming thing, ragdoll, um, yellowhead. Kareem is a um, a really amazing painter, and Alex is an ex demo scene coder. Ah, uh, okay. So he's all about like the graphics, and like that's why <laughs> engines are always like magnificent. And you know, when you mush all that together, you do get LBP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so that so that game, you were really there from. When they were just, when they were even putting together like a, a prototype demo yep. to get greenlit for yep. funding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so yeah, you you just you were you were there helping that thing get made before it was even a thing. That's really exciting. That's yeah. like a super exciting time to it be was. involved with a studio or a project. It really was. It was what was amazing about it was how um, quickly it came together yeah like what was I, it just like it sounds like was it just like five or six of you at that point? there's uh yeah nine actually okay um yeah. uh for the whole of the green light period anyway this is started at six and then grew mm. but um yeah we had very quickly things like because they found those foundations so the yellowhead demo really did become the like that was the foundation of the gameplay okay and what we spent a lot of time during the green light period doing was um, kind of figuring out what we meant by tools. <laughs> uh, you've upset a small child in the hallway of this Airbnb building. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a child. Um, or a cat. I mean, cat child. <laughs> hard to say. They have so much in common in a lot I mean, of ways. We don't know what's going on out there. They both scream. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so that... You know, and one thing almost led to another in terms of once you decide to go down that physics route, the visuals being the craft materials made perfect natural, perfect sense. Yeah. Because we wanted everything that people interacted with to behave as it would. So it just removed a barrier for people. It's like if you pull polystyrene, it looks, it sounds, it has the physics properties of polystyrene. Right. So people can just make those assumptions from what they might encounter in real life. Exactly. It's just there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, did, I noticed that too. I don't know if that, what that... I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. The, the, the glass that I gave Siobhan uh, from this Airbnb's uh, cabinet seems to have a big teardrop shaped crack in the side of it so we'll just uh we'll, i'll get you another glass if you need more water you don't have to drink out of this one anyway yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah so so if this were in little big planet you yeah, would know that if you dropped it it would exactly, crack right. <laughs> um, um, okay so so that was one of the kind of guiding principles yeah, was to so be able to people things... just kind of like go in and be able to understand how things yes. would work. Yeah. Yeah. Build upon those sort of set the anchors and the foundations. Um, and whilst that was also going on, I was very interested in, um, the team culture and like what everybody wanted out of it. Mm. So I sort of was doing quite a bit of work on that in terms of just talking to people really and having a discussion and setting a goal and, um, kind of being aware of what we wanted to be able to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we sort of set this goal of like making sort of genre defining, um, 
creative games was sort of our the yeah. kind of idea where we were in and that was um and so with lbp we we had that first period and we sort of things sort of started to come together we the tools and actually how you built things was sort of one of the areas that went through the most change like at one stage instead of having the having pop it where you place down shapes and you draw them in we actually had like hair dryers and paint rollers <laughs> and so it was very very physical yeah and that was really fun but it was very d- difficult to think about like how you'd scale that up for someone actually being able to build a level right like actually build a game yeah um, something much more um i guess intricate yeah. yeah 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 and sort of we did we went through this in almost ex- that dreams in lbp have been, we started in almost exactly the opposite ways mm. and with lbp we started this with a having to make the game not with the tool and so in order to figure out what the tool needed to do the pop it needed to do and so the very very first levels were not made with um you know when we we're doing the green light they weren't all made using pop it and it was through the green light process we were like right now we need to make the tools that allow us to make this kind of content and that was kind of the next phase and then those would be the tools that the player would have access that's right yeah so when we announced at gdc we had that but that was sort of all working and that was sort of correct and then it was it was such a ride because we didn't have any experience in this idea of user-generated content or um and the idea of like digital sharing like creative sharing was certainly really starting with things like Flickr and you know people using myspace and facebook was a bit around but it we used to look at this knitting website ravelry (laughs) this like really vibrant community and they were kind of a touchstone because they were really active and vibrant and sharing and um i think it's possible that my wife was involved with in or, yeah yeah I think because it sounds familiar and she mm-hmm. definitely has done knitting and yeah it would be people like making patterns and sharing them yes. and stuff right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like a really cool creative community and very grassroots so yeah. it was sort of interesting from um well and I mean just presumably a very like female focused mm-hmm. user base as well which is an interesting influence in the game space mm-hmm. you know, like, yes, to be absolutely. like we're going to take this very kind of like you know, female yep. community, and that's going and to be part of it. our blueprint for how we think of how yeah. we are building community. It was really cool, and there was also like Etsy had mm-hmm. at that time. I don't know if you remember the first sort of Etsy searches where you could search by color. No. Oh, so beautiful! Like you would just go to this page, and I think it's probably still in there. I haven't looked at it, for, looked for this particular yeah. page for a while. But you would just be able to search by color, and then this beautiful color <sighs> representation, and you'd be like, I want green thing. Yeah. I want like. Kermit Green things, you know. I want, <laughs> you you like, can kind of do that like on Pinterest now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Etsy was just nice because it came in and it was just gorgeous and like great colors and great layout. And um, that's cool. Yeah, um, but we had no experience with the idea of like running a live server or any of that kind of stuff. Like that was right. all completely new. So yeah. it's definitely one of those feelings of like it's really good when you don't know what you don't know, right? Because <laughs> you just keep going like yeah. day to day like, well, I guess we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine. Well, how do you how would you describe how you think about translating what, you know, one of your like core tenets or goals is? Like, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. make a genre defining creativity game or, you know, other slightly more granular. How do you how you take where you want to get to in in your head and in your process and turn that into like how you work with people? On the, or how you do the the step by step, you know, the, the early the, the, steps in that. Yeah, 
Um, so, I mean, I, um, I really liked talking to people and understanding what they want out of the experience because like, coming to work together it's it's a really there's a there's a lot of give and take there mm-hmm. and actually what I have a huge respect for is the fact that anyone who is in our studio we're really lucky that they're there yeah. because people are giving up their own time they're giving up something else to, yeah. to have chosen to be yeah. with us and so I want to make sure that we kind of have a similar set of values and wants out of what we're doing yeah. um, so I mean it's kind of, it's, it's a really good question because I guess what I try to do is just protect the fact that we um, we need to we need to make sure that those that if we sort of set a goal of like um, you know when we did their genre defining games like that or our creative games and what we've ended up with is like the idea of creative games being our key tenant but what you want is in order to achieve that, it's this very ground up way of working. Yeah. So I guess what I've learned from this is you can't top down a lot of that. You have to grow ideas and allow those ideas to develop to the point where you understand whether or not they fit within the framework. And so our process in order to maintain that and to maintain people's happiness is to ensure that people get to contribute and that their mark is in the game. Mm-hmm. So they're not yeah. a cog. It's not a come here and just do exactly what you're told. It is about cultivating their talents and finding the right way to channel that into the project. So whilst we, so for something like LBP and for Tearaway and for Dreams, we've had a framework that's loose and then we've had lots of ideas sort of that kind of you know people try out a thing and it grows and we're like yeah that's a good one let's put that in let's keep that in the edit we have other ideas that like grow and they are great but just don't fit within the framework others that like grow and uh, you know terrible so they need to to, (laughs) need to go or whatever (laughs) but i think that's kind of what i when i think of how i produce mm or it's very much for me about making sure that um in order for us to achieve these goals, we need people to be able to come into work and be creative. And therefore, they need to be really happy with the work they're doing. And they need to be really happy with the output they're getting. And they need to be really happy with their work going into the, sc- into the screen. Yeah. And it's terrible that people work really hard and their stuff keeps getting cut or whatever. So it's like sort of constantly kind of trying to keep that flow going so that we have... And you know, and in and as people have got older, our studios really evolved to having to being a very family first studio, because I don't know that something is in the water, but like we have so many children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any children, but the you know really there's a lot. The majority of the studio uh, have families, okay. and that also means that like their time is very valuable and. Um, they need you know and i want our best people as we're all getting older to keep working together like right. so we have to sort of find ways in order to be flexible to make to sort of just you know to keep that going so having people that are working off-site or being really responsive to childcare, or on both the mother and the father and it not you know like it's really important for me that to me that we have a place where people know they can come to it they can focus on their work yeah and that we will as the directors ensure that we keep that framework and we keep a focus on it being a quality product at the end yeah and that we don't like 
I don't know, I guess, get scared or um, give up or, yeah, you know, really stay like... Well, and I think that part of what you were, you know, part of what, what you were mentioning about kind of the 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 culture of crunch changing mm-hmm. at least you know gradually and is i think a lot of a lot of those behaviors cause i feel like a little bit of what you're describing is like a lot of those behaviors i think can come out of fear you know where mm-hmm. it's sort of like well if we don't all stay here till midnight this isn't going to get done yeah. or if you go home and spend the afternoons with your kid, then how are you going to get all of your work done? Yeah. So you can't do that, you yeah. know? And the flip side of it being like, we're not scared. We're not nervous mm-hmm. about if you don't act in a healthy way, then our product won't be yeah. successful or, or whatever. And being like, you can balance the things you actually need outside of the studio with what we need in the studio. And if we can't, find that balance, then that's our, like, that's, you know, that's on the studio. Absolutely. Because right? I think the thing of like, uh, in my head, we had, we, I flipped it because it was, we have like people, we have to make it work. We have to, we just have to, we have to be able to make it work. And if, if we, you know, cause what are you going to do? Cause otherwise then you end up in that world where it's like only the people, like only one group of people are expected to be at work late or something. Right. Like, do you know what I mean? It has to be something that there isn't one rule for one person and another rule for another person. That's kind of also been really important to, for me. It's like you can't... And also having come from Criterion where Crunch was just a part of it, it was like it was really unhealthy. And um, that is not cool for families. And it's not cool for... And when I mean by a family, not every family has to have children. It's like it's not cool for people to live a life. Right. And, and to have to... You know the work we all do is really intense yeah. and like coming up with these ideas like the best thing about that i love about games is like the idea of these completely mad subjects ideas crossovers worlds that don't exist characters that don't exist everything nothing exists and we dream it up and then we put it on a screen and all these different personalities have to figure out a way to come together to make that happen yeah that's like terrifically difficult yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> well also so, kind of really inspiring and yeah, exciting no, when, when you you know when you yeah. put it that way and you see it as that whole process yeah, but, yeah. it's awesome but it's like I want to keep doing that and I want to make sure that like I know that if I'm really tired and I know that I haven't seen Barry and I haven't like walked my dog and I haven't spoken to my mom right like you just you just start to fade a little bit yeah so I want you know and so in one respect it's quite selfish because I'm like I want everyone to come to work and be able to be present and for us just to be able to have keep keep the studio going and us make the games that we want to make make them in the way that we want to make it but like we have to deliver good things so like right. what it it seems really counterproductive to me to 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 take the approach which is everyone has to be here all of the time because they just can't right like or or, just, or you can yeah. for a limited amount of time but yes, you know that, yeah, that's how you yeah. end up just like it's not sustainable. Yeah. yeah it's totally even if you get one successful project or two, I mean, you were talking about kind of you got you got two burnouts out yeah. of that process, and yeah. then you're like, I can't. This can't be my yeah. my life yeah. anymore. Which, yeah. by the way, I know. The title <laughs> of burnout is amazing <laughs> uh, in, in this context. I know. Uh, but but yeah, no, I, I think I, I know I know exactly what you mean, and I mean I think I I think about the same kinds of things. Um, even just you know our, our studio is much smaller um, than than places that that you've worked and um, 
you know, we are, we are just going into our third game at, at mm-hmm. this point. But, you know, it is the kind of thing where it's like we have a we have a team that we really love and that's really talented and that we want to be able to keep having them make things together. And if you do say you have to be here till midnight every night, like mm-hmm. you're going to, I mean, you're going to, you're, you're going to drive those people away over time. And yeah. so the flip side of that being, if you can say, how do we enable the people that we want to be working with to actually do it in a healthy way, then hopefully you yes. know, that means that you can keep working together long enough that you've built these years of rapport and these shared work practices and you can be more productive exactly. and creative exactly. than you otherwise would be. Yeah, exactly. You can just get into the zone. It's really like that's one of the other amazing things about being with working with people. We've been 12 or 12 this year and there's a lot of people within the studio. Like most of the original group are still here still yeah. in the studio so it's like we've just built up a lot of shorthand and yeah. we've built up a lot of um we understand where we cross over interest wise and like certainly dreams has pushed us way out of our comfort zone and into a whole new world of like have because it's very it's it's very different um much more powerful than lbp um, just as far as like the, what the creative tools yes, can do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think like at the core of it, when you sort of ask me the question of what do I do, I think ultimately I really do put people at the center of it. Like that is one of the things that I really feel within the games industry that we've just really have to make sure that we continue to do because it's, it's really important that people have, um, are treated well. And it's really important that, that we attract people interesting people to our industry and it's really important that we allow different stories to get told and I think that like people therefore really need to be the center of how we work and it sounds really glib and like like duh like of course but I don't think it always is and things like Mm, having good HR practices right from when we were really small I bought on HR because I was like it's really really important for people to have um, an impartial voice to go speak to and I know not every studio can do that, not every small studio can, but it's. Imp- I think it's really important to think about it as a discipline of like, what happens when people are creatively stressed? What happens when something's happened that's confused people? And of course, I want them to come to me and tell me and I can work through it with them. But sometimes I'm the problem, like, and sometimes sure, yeah. us as directors are the problem. Yeah, and or you're just too involved. We're too know? involved. Yeah, sure. And I feel like, you know, the... the um, my approach has sort of always has been that basically I think is just to make sure that the choices that we make really do put the best interests of the team at the center of that and that we make sure that we end well I don't want to get to the end of a project and go well thank god we've done that but god we all killed ourselves and now everyone's leaving yeah right I want us to like carry on and to keep doing these things together so it's um yeah yeah so what was what what do you remember about um, you know, Little Big Planet as the studio's first game. Yeah, you know, uh, what was it? I mean, was it a long? So cool. Was it a really? Was it a longer? How long did it take two to, to years, ship that game? Two okay, years. so two two years is not two that long years, for a for a first game. For no, studio's first two and a half years. I guess yeah. it was like yeah. Um, and was that so? Were you guys have has Media Molecule always been? I mean, not always, but. By the time you shipped Little Big Planet, were you owned by Sony at that point? Uh, no, we were, but we were sort of always engaged because they 
paid for our funded our green light yeah. period and that was a exclusive yeah. um period did they, did they not fund development after they funded yes the green? Okay. they then yeah. went to fund development yeah. so, like, so you've always it was just been like a, right from the beginning yeah. they were like right, the right. people that were giving this a yeah. go and then you've always been a playstation only studio from yeah. that point yeah yeah um and then yeah after lbp1 and throughout burnout uh, burnout uh, lbp2 yeah um that was when we we were we were acquired by them yeah. became a first party studio yeah, yeah and um you know to be honest like when that was all first happening like i was a little nervous because having been through the criterion ea which actually wasn't bad it just changed it, like it was those small little changes that you know um that happened and but PlayStation are just really amazing at what they do when they acquire studios. They just leave you to be, basically. And we obviously have to report in and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but they have always really stuck to their word on the idea of, like, we're acquiring you or bringing you in as first party so that you can keep doing what you're doing. We don't want to change it. And that's really worked out. And all the other first party studios have this really nice... Um, thing that happens when a studio is acquired you go to see one of them we went to see gorilla mm. and they like give you the lowdown yeah and they give you the down and dirty lowdown <laughs> of like what it really means yeah and that is really nice because you know it has meant we've, we've got a really close relationship with gorilla and um we love that team and we it has always been good that they've kind of been part of our journey if you like we couldn't be more different really as studios of the kind of games we make but yeah. like it's a really it's a good good sharing cool yeah. yeah um yeah do you so you so so the first little big planet like that yeah. was i i feel like it was it was a uh, i mean it seemed like it was a, a big hit for you guys were you excited about about how you know what the reaction was when yeah. it was released um i mean the sort of major points that i remember from um LBP were announced showing it at announcing at GDC in 2007 mm. and did you we, announce that like at the award it was at the yeah. keynote so that was right. the days when there used to be a keynote at the yeah. beginning of GDC yeah. I believe I was at that keynote because oh, I yeah. remember seeing the video up on a big screen and I was like where was that but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it would have been there and it was like we showed a little bit of a playable then right. ended on the video right because they used to do like the yeah like the platform holder keynotes yes, that's at right. GDC and then at some point they were like we're not doing that anymore. that's right <laughs> anymore. Yeah. yeah yeah right right so there was a Sony and a, a, and a Nintendo that's right, like they, yeah. okay, right and right, this right. was like the Sony one and Phil did his intro and it was like amazing and we had just been um making it in our little studio which is was above a, a toilet shop and a <laughs> bathroom shop okay all yeah right. and it basically whilst we were having this like so amazing perfect. time in san francisco the um the, you know the the wall the ceiling was leaking and like <laughs> the whole studio was like falling apart oh. and you know and it was like it was you know it was amazing because we had this thing and we just went to our hotel room and like ate popcorn and <laughs> drank champagne and it was just it was that kind of that moment of we'd been just on our own not we'd shown our family and friends but certainly weren't really expecting the reaction we got we got this amazing reception our videos was looked at like loads of like huge counts yeah. kept going up and up and up and we yeah. were just like and then suddenly you know our inbox was filling with all these people asking questions and people who wanted to come and work with us yeah. and it was just this whole i guess like 
arrival or coming out of us as a studio and also announcing the game at the same time yeah it was just it was really it was a very yeah a jubilant um moment and then we were like oh god gotta do it now <laughs> <laughs> oh wait <laughs> oh wait oh dear but, I mean, um, that, but that must have been encouraging too because yeah, i mean yeah. that level of of attention i mean if nothing else even in totally pragmatic terms it means that at that point, Sony has to be like, oh, okay, if people are excited about this, we are going to support this Absolutely. team and all that. Yeah, everyone was like... <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we uh, basically just started to show it. I guess it was from, like, E3 and, you know... It, when I look back at LBP, maybe it's just because I have just so many happy memories that I've, like, blocked out the hardship. But it yeah. was... It was a really, really, really good development. Yeah. I think we were we had come together on this sort of idea of like we were friends. We crossed over in terms of I was a really you know as an experienced shipper mm-hmm. and finisher. They were very much ready to ship a thing. Yeah, a lot of the ideas like came together and matched, and we were able to edit edit. We had a we realized really early on was that we actually our taste crossover and our finish crossover. Are the same okay so that makes it really easy and like whilst we have like debates and arguments about different decisions ultimately we really could sort of defer to any one of us to go will you make that call on that because our taste is really really similar yeah and um our quality finish is very similar so yeah. like just like the level of polish that you wanted to have by yeah the time it's out there yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. yeah what we would we sort of all have the same level of what we call finished yeah. so that sort of makes it easy just it's yeah. one less thing to worry yeah. about. So that, well, that, how would you describe the flip side of what? So you know, you kind of talked about uh, kind of holistic focus on yep. the studio, the people, the studio, and everything. But I mean, the 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 practice of getting something out the door, mm-hmm. you know, turned into a product that is like that's finished, like being a shipper. Like yeah. because I, I've I've known people in the industry who are they're like oh yeah, like you know that we brought this person in because we need to ship this game and they're just like a ship. They like get games finished. Yeah. Like what, what are kind of your, your core skill sets or the things that you think of as just like, how, how do you, how do you become become someone who like ships games, not just a producer? You Um, know what I mean? I think it's just about like holding people to account and making sure you're going through that editing process. Mm. I read recently that somebody's job description was a game editor. And I was like, that is a brilliant job description (laughs) because actually we often need that person who's able to look at it and go, you all really think you need these bits and these bits and these bits, but we can cut that, do that, like have a look at it in a holistic way. And I I think that that's very much a part of being a shipper is you have to be a good editor. You also have to have an understanding of what a finished product can look like so that you can do the editing. And then it's also being very clear about like the dates, the process, the prioritization, the triaging and not being um, fooled by people. So not being, I don't know if someone's saying, I mean, not being fooled by people is probably a mean way of saying it, but like very often you just have to, you have to remain very strong essentially and not back down on certain points because to get something out of the door, there are dates, you'll know that from cert, like there are points that you just have to hit. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't hit them, your whole delivery gets altered and yeah. costs money. And so people having that kind of visibility of what the process is, um, they're, you know, they're some of the qualities, they're some of the skills is, is 
being able to uh, yeah, edit, make the calls, do the suggestions, have like stand up for the represent the game rather than the people at that point also. Yeah, yeah, right. So there's a point where I think of it. There's almost this eclipse in development where you sort of go from being like hand wavy or talking about the game. Your ideas are the most important thing, and getting them on the screen is the most important thing. Yeah. And then there's a point where enough of it is on the screen that that's the game you're making. Yeah. You're no longer making the one that's in separate people's heads. It's the one on the screen. That's yeah. what you're going to finish. Yeah. So instead of like talking about it, you've got to just look at it and go, what is this? Like, let's just, if we needed to finish this tomorrow, what would be the things that we would need to do? Yeah. And only do them. Don't yeah. just, like, you have to be good very prepared to kill your darlings right well because yeah so much of his prioritization yeah. and just dependencies you know like mm-hmm. yeah like, like i feel like like you're saying it's like okay we have to do the stuff that we can't cut yes. first <laughs> and, exactly. and then once we have that baseline now it's like sort of a question of what's the next nicest to have we're going to invest in everything above this line and yes. just like because at some point yeah, there's certain things that can't fall off the table and certain things you're going to have to do work to kind of like paper over if you don't get to have exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is the thing, it's like that false economy thing that of sometimes it feels really good to go, we're going to cut that. And I think experience has taught me that sometimes the thing that you that is a B is actually going to become an A at some point. So it's like knowing, having that experience to know like how issues like you know, rumble around and you're like, oh, that thing, it's really annoying. Right. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty terrible. Oh, yeah, user testing has noticed it. Being able to join dots together, that's another production skill that's really important. And and one that probably doesn't get spoken about enough of, like, being able to see patterns and understand systems such that you're able to just go that, that, and that. They're all linked. Right. We don't need to fix these three bugs. There's actually a problem that's this yeah and this yeah. is why they're happening or you're coming up with a ton of features but that's because the sound pass hasn't been done right or you're like yeah you know what I mean? no, stuff like that like you totally have to be true. able to be like you know don't just react let's look at it and decide right. what the right course is yeah where, where you could, yeah because there can totally be there's the whole like um you know if all you have a hammer is a hammer situation where you're sort of like like you're saying you know oh well we really have this problem. We need to fix it now. And knowing that in a month there's going to be this thing that's going to come in, that means that won't be a problem anymore. So mm-hmm. if we spend time fixing it now, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And I think that having that um, having that longer view and just that experience with projects to know like right now isn't everything that matters because I know what later is actually going to be. That's something I feel like you can really only get after you've been through the loop once I or twice. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's one of the most fun things, like, because it's a little bit bloodhoundy, you know. Right. Like you, <laughs> I think in the same way that we have programmers who really love optimizing. Right. Like, th- there is a production optimization skill, which is this similar thing, which is being able to, like, see the see the um the the uh, errors in the pattern essentially and be yeah. like you know or to be able to understand it enough to figure out to predict the problem that's going to come and then figure out the way to <clears throat> just allow that to just re-enter the flow and discussion yeah. in a quite natural way rather than being like panic we have this thing yeah because that's one of the that's definitely one of the things that over years you learn is just like let's don't panic just yeah. got it like it's all cool just got to every day is a new day yeah. like if you didn't do the right thing on Monday it's okay like it's really not the end of the world yeah 
people are working on the wrong thing and you've lost one day, it's like literally it's fine. Yeah. You can just course correct. Yeah. And course correcting can happen really, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly with dreams, actually, that's definitely pushed this stuff of the pattern finding and all of this in a very new direction because it's essentially building a game engine yeah which is very yeah. different from making a game well, do you th- i mean do you feel <laughs> like that's because that seems that from my perspective that f- that feels <clears throat> that feels fairly um similar to to what you did with little big planet it, not not i mean probably to a different degree mm-hmm. but it still felt like it was almost more of building the tool I mean you you made levels for people to play but also it was building the tools to make yeah levels more so than it was like making a game you know making a platformer like the platformer wasn't really the point the tools were the point that's right but yeah. with dreams you feel like it is it just like exponentially more so yeah because it's it's so much more um it's so much more powerful and, and you can make everything in dreams so LBP you use what we gave you. Yeah, yeah, you chose from a palette. You could do the CS, like you could do the, you know, um, smearing of platforms and all that kind of stuff. But within this, it's like, you know, got an audio engine that you can do everything with. It's akin to audio engines you'd use on a com- your computer or huh. phone. It has a sculpting engine that's really powerful, right. and you can sculpt anything from scratch and have all these different looks. It has the logic system. It has an animation system. Yeah. And all those things intertwined together, and all of them have like all the you know tweaks and controls. So I guess the thing that I've had to learn on this one is I don't need I can't know everything. Yeah. Like I can't know every single tweak value, for example. Yeah. And our QA department have had to like move into really thinking of it like an engine that's got thousands and thousands and thousands of checks right rather right. than a game which and even though lbp was big it just is yeah it's dwarfed by dreams yeah so yeah, yeah so that's been a real <laughs> like when i think of things you know people will be like why is it taking so long and i'm like thinking you know really we probably didn't even know ourselves until we've got to this point where it's pretty much all sort of the tools are all pretty stable yeah the scope of like the size of it how, how do you find it like having to try to communicate the the i mean how, how do you find it trying to get people to to kind of for this to click with them because it feels kind of like the the pitch is a little bit of like you can do anything. Yeah. It's sort of like, okay, well, that's a, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, what do you mean, really? Uh, or, or even so, like, I mean, I feel like there must be this this hard, so working in, like, AAA games and stuff, I'm familiar with the idea of, of you know, people, you know, maybe a publisher or whatever being like, what's the, the core fantasy that you're trying to deliver with this mm-hmm. game? And it, it there's a, you can do an elevator, elevator pitch of, like, you know, you drive a car really fast and the crashing yeah. is awesome. Right. Exactly. But then when you're, when, you know, what, what is the, the kernel of this thing? It's like, you can make stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, like what is the, how have you guys been able to kind of work through that and, and make people understand the game or what the draw of the, the game, or, you know, like, yeah. like you're saying, it's, it's like, know, it's, it's not been... even as much of a game as just like this, this thing that you can. Well, this is a said, we're really lucky. So like shoe is the best in the whole world. And Michael Denny, they're the sort of the two people within PlayStation who have been our champions for the whole journey. Yeah. 
and they're kind of like high level like product development yeah, guys are, on yeah. the Sony side. That's right. But they both and Shu just I think has really pushed us to remain true to our like framework thing that we talked about at the beginning. But when we started this, we started at the end of LBP two, so that would be. 2011 12 period yeah. tiny 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 group of people because mm-hmm. um, at that time we were starting up Terraway and so there was more people working on that yeah. and Rex was sort of growing his role were, were you not as involved with Terraway uh, uh, not at the beginning no okay. I ended up being on it but I didn't start off on it okay. um, and two teams very difficult yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah we sort of set up with this idea of um the world had changed so much since LBP. So, you know, MySpace was a touch point for us for LBP. Right. <laughs> Just to put it into some yeah. context, you know. To give you some perspective. Yeah. So, and a good touchstone at yeah. that. Like, yeah. I loved MySpace when it was cool. Um, uh, but um, it, uh, this, we'd sort of, there was so many, there'd been this big sort of push on creative gaming and obviously there's like, that game no one's heard of I called I think it's called like Minecraft <laughs> <laughs> it's some sort of mining <laughs> game yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like an amazing phenomenon and brilliant because it sort of brought creativity really like I think it's it changed a lot of people's concerns about like creative games yeah I think it right. made it like builders and people love building things they love sharing things yeah yeah um and we and Unity was sort of just starting various different things sort of going on and what we wanted to do was sort of sidestep that and not continue down our LBP uh, path yeah. which was sort of fairly constrained and one of the most important things was people on the team couldn't really put their own um, work on screen if you get what I mean like LBP's visual style and aesthetic was so strong and the brand itself was so strong that like even though you could get a bit of you across, your the style to, was um, was the dominant LBP style was the dominant style. Right. Yeah. And what we wanted was. I mean, you're enabling people to be level designers, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas what we wanted was all of our team to feel as enabled as the level designers. Yeah. And so you know, everyone on the level design team loved LBP. We all loved LBP. Right. But they right. all loved it in a way that was quite special to them. Yeah. And what we wanted was to, you know, to, to, to enable everybody, but not go down the route where we just did something super technical. Mm-hmm. And so this concept of performance was the key yeah. of like, imagine really just being able to get into a flow state where you can move between animating, music, logic, uh, level design. Yeah. All under the same UI, yeah. And you don't need to bring in an animation package. Right. You don't need to use other things. You can just do it all in one yeah. place. And you have to do all that. I mean, as a designer, one of the things that seems incredibly challenging is you have to be able to do all of this with a DualShock controller, presumably. Yeah. So you get like twelve buttons and two sticks. Yeah. To I mean, you and see, have a touchpad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So you've got gyroscopic motion. Yeah. You've got the touchpad, um, which do give you meaningful additional ways to interact with that stuff yeah but it still seems like a little bit <laughs> of the internal challenge is like so can you give me like maya and yeah. photoshop and like the logic editor from unreal and you just have to be able to use all of them with a controller which is kind of <laughs> kind of crazy totally you guys nice. must have some serious like ui design people we on totally do we, we started off with the moves because the okay. moves were um, uh, amazing. Yeah. And um, we you still so like we support the moves. Yeah, and, all that kind yeah. Of stuff. and yeah, yeah. we use them for 
the first sort of tools that we made were sculpting. Yeah. And then we managed to work then with Anton Mikhailov from, um, he was working at SIEA at the time, and mm. he was all part of, like, he helped uh, develop the moves mm. and the PSVR, and he's a brilliant UI designer, and he really, he, excuse me, worked with our art director and uh, another one of the programmers, Ant, another Anton. Um, and they did a lot with the sculpting. That was, like, our first point of um, the first... Uh, area of focus yeah. but yeah like what you're saying is exactly right like it's been that's why it's been this kind of epic journey because it's you kind of level up in one area and you're like okay we've got sculpting now we need to try music and then you do music and you're like uh the way they work together they need we need to rethink a bit of sculpting to make that work and then we need to we had in logic it's but the cool news is is that like we've worked through all of those things it has been a lot of hard work yeah um but it's as a producer, it's meant thinking about it in a way that is very unfamiliar in terms of games making. Yeah, it's right. it's more about like because what you learn is when you're making an engine or a tool that actually fifty percent of people will always want a menu to do this. Fifty mm. percent of people don't. Like no one uses Photoshop in exactly the same way. Yeah, right. And if you could all just choose your defaults, we'd probably all have completely different defaults. Yeah, yeah. So what is the base starting point? is yeah. like it's been the and, and that's kind of liberating in a way as well because it makes you think okay we don't have we can't literally respond to every single thing because you know of all the people that hate that like half of the people love that so yeah. um are you able to do some amount of like you know like customizable options for like yeah different ways for the UI to work if yeah, you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really important yeah. for something like Photoshop as well. As you can be yeah. like, actually, I'm going to move my windows around exactly. and change my hotkeys or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, that's, yeah, that is like a, that's a, that's quite a journey into the kind of stuff you really have to be focusing on from user experience mm-hmm. standpoint. You mm-hmm. know, it's like tuning and, and user experience, but in a way that's totally separate from probably what what most game development really really is on like a kind of commercial you know like player facing yes exactly you're like oh i play it and i finish it yeah and you know when we were finishing tearaway i was like oh this is so nice to just have a story that we're playing through (laughs) 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 then i'd go work on dreams and i'd be like oh my god (laughs) but it's you know that's this is the best thing about the industry though isn't it because it's the best thing is that we get to do these things and yeah. we have them within our reach to be able to dream up new thing, new technology, new yeah. ways of interacting. And, yeah. um, I think like particularly the skills people learn making games are such an interesting set of skills that the way we design interfaces is just always going to be very different from how non-games people would design interfaces because we yeah. believe in play and we believe in things feeling good and we want the person on the other end to feel good right and you want yeah. like you know them to feel like a you know a winner or like yeah. or feel like they can find a community of people or i don't well, know or just like it's the whole like game feel thing yes, right you're exactly. probably like designing like a tool interface but with like kind of that game feely yeah. like responsiveness in mind which is i think a very particular perspective to have on yeah what interacting with this thing should be like yeah so yes that's that's dreams lots of production <laughs> challenges and dreams but yeah. it's um well what does it mean to to you to be the studio director i don't know if i've actually 
quite seen that job title before. Oh, really? I, suppose, I don't know. May, I mean, maybe so, but I, I guess maybe it's I'm more focused on, like, I know executive producers, general managers, okay. you know, design directors, art directors, and stuff, but a studio director, I feel like it feels like maybe it's a little bit of a particular approach to what your role is. Uh, maybe. I mean, I guess I combine people, the projects, and the process together. Like, yeah. that's sort of my uh, areas of interest. And then I'm the sort of conduit into PlayStation. So I sort of represent okay. us in term, internally when we, uh, you know, we have to report in. Yeah, when Media Molecule talks to Sony, you it's you to talking like, to Sony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Which, and, I mean, that probably seems like it's got... It, that seems like it's it's got to be a little bit of a mixed blessing. I mean, it's, it's good, I'm sure, to yeah. be the one who's kind of representing that and bringing it back, but also that's got to be... Uh, sometimes I don't know. I could imagine that there are probably points where you're like, I wish I could really just focus on like yeah. our side of stuff. I know, think as a producer, that's like you're you're often you're balancing up um, what you've heard and what to communicate and how to communicate it all all of the time. Like that's like so your ability to edit yourself is a, another really important right. skill of like being able to understand so you know I um, I'm luckily from our perspective like Sony are not really heavy on you know we have to send a report like every two days right, or anything right. like that but we have very good check in points um, well it sounds like you're mostly kind of talking with your advocates there about yeah. what you're doing as opposed to like here's our you know TPR yeah. report for the quarter exactly or jump through like 20 hoops over there yeah um but yeah I so I think yeah studio director role for me is yeah is that very much caring about like the culture of the place the projects so it's you know EP in that sense of like making sure we have the understand the full scope of the project yeah. make sure we deliver I had a, you know, when I think, I had a line about this at one point, I just try and remember, it was basically like being able to um, make the projects we want to make, how we want to make them, with the people we want to make them with, yeah. and to not lose people along the way. Yeah. That's yeah. sort of my, what I kind of have in my head is like, let's just try and keep the band together right. and keep doing our thing and that's stay the, happy. That's the like, ideal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, I mean, I feel like that's so much of in in either of our position, you know, when we're kind of like, you know, on, we, we have our, we've built our, our house, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, you don't want to get stagnant or otherwise, you know, just sort of like not, not be agile or, or mm -hmm. whatever. But the flip side is, I think there is that, that other level of being like, it takes so much to put all this stuff in place and to enable that idea of like, we want to make what we want to make and the way we want to make it, mm -hmm. but in a way that's like sustainable, sustainable. for the people yeah. that we work with and keep yeah. them together and happy and, and engaged and sort of like, you have to do a lot, I think, to maintain that yeah. as well as to keep growing either creatively or you with do. your ambition or whatever. And I think the, the other aspect of that is um, the sort of commercial and critical success element of like, I mean, and these are the things we don't have a ton of control over, like, yeah. you know, meaning we don't know what's going to happen when our babies leave the, right. leave the studios. And 
therefore all we really can ever do is our best like we have to just all do you know feel proud of what we've done and I think it, in the years of MM we've had some years which have been really tricky really challenging and other years which have just been like amazing and the thing that I have learned and we have you know that time within um sort of structure of people's packages we have these nice benefits we do nice things and all the you know lovely lovely yeah, yeah. but the thing that i have learned is none of that matters if people are not happy with the project that they're making and they don't feel proud of what they're seeing on the screen yeah. and they and that therefore is and what i've learned if we all like what's on the screen and we're all able to talk about it and we're all able to air the things that we're not happy with then we make something better so it's like that for me is really important to protect. It's really important to protect this thing that we're doing together and that we need, and I think it's really important that people, that studios, you know, well, for us it's important because it means to me, if we're all happy with what we've made, we've all done our best and we're proud of what we see, then there's li- there's just not any more we could have done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we're efficient and da 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 but like, there's just nothing more we could have done so we can rest easy with like whatever happens i mean and of course um but that so yeah that's sort of the you know i sort of see my role as kind of those areas and i have four great like co-directors mark and alex and dave and kareem and you know i couldn't ask to work with a better group of people yeah just awesome so we're it's just yeah, it's been amazing sort of that it's been the twelve years now. Like that's yeah. a long time. Yeah, it is. Like, congratulations! I mean, you you shipped a, a lot, and that that's been a good time for for your core group to be together and for your studio to keep yeah. going and everything. Yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Do you have <laughs> any idea? Next. Do you have any idea how much longer Dreams is going to be? I in just production? Abby would just kill me. I'm not allowed to say anything. We're we're just we're at a really we're at the we're at a point where we're now uh the tools have sort of stabilized uh, the, um and yeah we're making the plans yeah. of what happens next and that figuring like out how to transition was... into being a service company right. like that's going to be a whole yeah that'll yeah. be a whole production <laughs> change so, so yeah lots of interesting it's still going to be a little while before its initial release it sounds like maybe <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean I, I wish you guys luck on on you know the adventure that is going to thank be the you. rest of turning this into a thing that, that people are getting their hands on it seems really exciting thank you very um, much but thank you so much for for spending part of your day talking with me about what you guys do it's um it's really cool to hear your perspective on all this oh, thanks yeah thanks that was fun <laughs> I talked at you but like hopefully it was interesting no it, it, it was great um yeah, I, I'm I'm really uh, yeah. All the best to, to everybody at Media Molecule because it sounds like you guys are are really um, working on something special. Cool. All right, thanks so much. Thank you.